one problem facing people at many levels of business is how to make time for a work life and a personal life. Do you find that one seems to keep getting in the way of the other? This is the Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris. Even if you're not involved in the business world, you'll have a lot to gain by tuning in to today's show. Now, here is your host, Rick Morris. And welcome to another edition of the Work-Life Balance. You're listening to Rick Morris, and we're so excited to have a, a wonderful guest on. But before, just a quick announcement. Uh, for those of you that follow me on the entertainment side and, and are aware of the, you know, the Mickey Mouse Club and the group that uh, I produce called The Party, uh, we announced today that um, for the first time, this music that we made 30 years ago is now available via Spotify. It was it was crazy because um, Hollywood Records, they were the first band that Hollywood Records signed. And through purchases and acquisitions and all of the music masters have been somewhere. We, we don't know where, but it was you know pre-digital age, pre-cell phones, pre-all that. Uh, but we finally uh, have gotten that done. That first album is released uh, and we couldn't be more excited. So Jason Hampton did a, did a big announcement uh, on Instagram around noon, but you can search the party, find their original album that uh, we released August 31st, 1990. So uh, we're so excited for the band, so excited for those guys. We just had, you know, Jason and Damon on the show not too long ago. Let's get to uh, today's show. Uh, today's gentleman specializes in empowering individuals and organizations and identifying, developing, and exceeding performance goals. He's had the privilege of coaching and training thousands of high performers across an array of industries, from small businesses on the move to Fortune 500 companies. He collaborates with organizations to build foundations, set goals, and eclipse their highest potential. He's got a lot of the similar backgrounds uh, that I do. I already know which subject we're going to really dive into, but let's bring him onto the show. Steve Gavitorta. Steve, how are you doing, sir? I'm good, Rick. How about yourself? Doing wonderful. So thank you for the advanced copy, which was In Defense of Adversity. It's not advanced copy, but you sent me a copy of uh, In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into Your Greatest Success. And uh, when I read that, the thing that jumped out right out of the gate to me was one of my favorite subjects to discuss, and that's DISC. Yeah. 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 Oh, God, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I think um, I use that in nearly everything I do. My, my base premise is um, to be successful in life, to be successful in business, sales, leadership, uh, team dynamics, such as facing adversity, overcoming obstacles. Um, we must know ourselves, know others whom we're communicating with, so we can ultimately build trust. So I use the DISC, uh, DISC uh, assessment in almost everything I do because my premise is without trust, you're not going to be successful in whatever endeavor uh, you're, you're, you're attempting to uh, to do. And so there's multiple organizations that certify DISC. One of the things a lot of people don't know about DISC is it is public domain. Now, there's several companies that do certify, but it's it's public domain out there uh, now. But uh, I, I, what what was the organization you certified through? Uh, TTI, Target Training International. Yep. So I'm certified through TTI as well, um, Maxwell's yeah. Method. Uh, I went through a certification with Dr. Robert Rome, who uh, owns Personality Insights. Um, and so, yeah, it's, I, I can't learn enough about it, right? The more... The more I can gain that. And interestingly enough, I, I did a keynote uh, this morning for the PMI chapter of Tampa Bay. And one of the people that was reaching out said that she really wanted to um, learn how to communicate better with executives. And, and my response was, you've got to learn DISC. Absolutely. Um, in about 2002 is when I first ran into it. 
Um, I wrote about it in my book in 2008, and it really was a staple as a project manager. My job is to communicate 90% of the time. Uh, and if I don't know what my audience is or how to communicate appropriately with them, at least meet them where they are, then yeah. of course, you know, it's not going it, to, it's not going to fare well for me. Yeah. So let's talk about the book for a moment. Why did you decide to write your book in defense of adversity? Yeah, as uh, we spoke earlier, I'm actually in my home. I'm, I live in Tampa, Florida, but I'm home in Pittsburgh now, uh, taking care of some family matters. And as you probably can imagine, Western Pennsylvania, Pittsburgh, is coal mines, steel mills, a natural um, draw back in the day, and even still today, for immigrant families. So about five years ago, I was home for the holidays, and I told my father, I want to see where you grew up, the little neighborhood when you grew up. And it's a little village within my hometown called Langloth or Burgettstown, too. And um, it's nothing special. It's about a bunch of tenement houses. They're small little houses. Nothing special. So my father, we go up there, my father points to his house. And my father, by the way, was a successful entrepreneur himself, said, that's where I grew up. There's where Dr. Spadogins grew up. There's where Dr. Strassi grew up. There's where Dr. So-and-so grew up. Uh, there's where Barry Alvarez grew up. I'm not sure if you know who Barry Alvarez is. Yeah, the winningest football coach of all time at University of Wisconsin. So it just really hit me like a ton of bricks. What a great story, you know, especially this day and age with all the, so much negativity and a lot of complaining that, you know, all these immigrant families came from around the world to this little town, not speaking English, let alone each other's language, became doctors, lawyers, businessmen and women, entrepreneurs, athletic directors, athletes. It's really a great story I wanted to tell. The only problem was I'm, I'm not a biographer. So I actually went forward. I started interviewing a lot of these families and their stories were tremendous. Interviewed Barry Alvarez for about three hours. And the common denominator that I found that made them successful was the fact they all, uh, it was really about the adversity that they all faced and successfully overcame. And that drew to the title of the book called In Defense of Adversity, Turning Your Toughest Challenges into your greatest success, meaning adversities placed in our lives, I firmly believe, to help us grow, transform, and evolve into the people we're ultimately meant to become. Yeah, one of the greatest quotes that, that I heard actually going through training uh, with Dr. Robert Rome is he said, the universe is going to keep giving you the same adversity, and it's, it, it's a pass or fail. And if you fail, it's just going to keep coming at you, the same right. issue. And so if you ever questioned in your brain, you know, why do I keep making the same mistake? And that's because you haven't grown or learned to, to move past that mistake yet. Now, I, I, I've never heard anybody put it you know, that eloquently before. That's right. That's right. You know, I, I talk about three things in the book and workshops, too. It's really, first of all, when adversity strikes, you must face it. You can't act like it's not there. You can't, or you shouldn't act like it's not there. You shouldn't get angry. Your response should not be emotional. You should be willing to face it. Then hopefully successfully overcome it, but at the least learn a valuable lesson from it. Because as you said, it's going to come up again if you didn't learn that lesson. So hopefully if you learn that lesson, it's going to prepare you down the road for when things happen again as well. And there's I'm not just saying this on a whim. This, there's a lot, lot of brain uh, science and brain functionality that backs that as well, too. The fact that when we learn from things, when we learn from obstacles, there's something that allows our brain to develop on our cortex part of our brain, our rational part of the brain. So adversity in our life is very useful to our development as human beings and in roles such as leadership, sales, business, management, ownership, whatever that might be.
Hey, even Bill Gates says uh, the, the, the enemy of success is too much success That's in right. the sense, right? That you start right. to cruise, yeah, right? Complacency. You know, I, I subscribe to the fact my worst times have ultimately been my best times. I've learned the greatest lessons during my adverse times. In fact, I dedicate a whole chapter. Uh, I'm not sure if you had a chance to read the book, but in chapter three, I dedicate a whole chapter and it's titled The Summer from Hell. So it's one of the toughest things I faced that in, in my younger years that made me become uh, who I am today. So I think that's a prevailing factor. You, you know, I, I, I entrepreneur or entrepreneur, I'm a professional speaker. I <laughs> interview entrepreneurs um, all the time, but now I've now created a new word. If you like that entrepreneur means I interview entrepreneurs. I like that. Um, but anyway, the, 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 none of them come on and say, you know, my first idea was a hit. My first idea is where I made my millions. All of them overcame and, and many times extreme adversity in order to understand what the work ethic is to create the wealth that a lot of people desire. That's right. Everything in life teaches us a lesson if we're willing to learn from it and use it to our advantage. So um, I couldn't agree with you more. So you say this topic is really important now and, and even more important now than ever. Why, why do you say that? Well, a couple of things. I, I say even before this whole COVID thing hit, I part of my tagline for my business, you can look at my capabilities video I produced like two years ago. I stated we are in a fast-paced, high-tech, ever-evolving world. Change is hitting us faster than ever. Adversity striking deeper than ever. And the speed at which we make a decision, have to make decisions is getting shorter and shorter. This is the current and future place of our world. So if we are not with the intensity things are hitting us, if it's not going to get any easier because of technology, um, if we're not prepared to effectively deal with fast change, deeper adversity, the need to make a quick decision, we're really going to struggle. We're not going to be successful. So even before this whole COVID thing I was talking about, you know, the need to be better at handling our obstacles, learn from it, overcome it and succeed from it. Because I firmly believe those people who can, those companies who can, are not only going to survive, but they are going to thrive. They may even get a competitive advantage when, when their competitors aren't able to, to be successful in these crazy days. You know, as I was researching, my, not only that whole philosophy there, but when I was researching my book, this is shoot three and a half years ago, um, I Googled the phrase, how to deal with adversity. With, when, back in the day, when you plugged that, uh, you, when you Google that phrase, I think it was t over 20 million results came back. So obviously, this, is a, this was a hot topic even before COVID and, and, and whatnot. So um, I just think it's hotter now because of COVID, but just the, the fast pace of our world today. Well, and, and so let's let's relate this back to the science of DISC for a moment as well. Sixty nine percent of the population are in that high S you know category, which means in that high S category, you include the, the one big thing. And it, it, they say that you fear change. I don't think you fear change. I I just don't think you like your pattern disrupted without a why. That's right? right. Is that a fair to say? Yeah. When I talk about the motivators for each style, a motivator for a high S is peace and stability. <laughs> so obviously. COVID doesn't tie anything to peace and stability. You know, change doesn't tie into anything regarding peace and stability. So you're exactly right. Uh, you know, COVID, if, 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 or any adverse situation, if a high S or any style, but if especially a high S doesn't understand 
that being a trigger, you know, the, the lack of peace, lack of stability, the, the, the uncertainty, if they don't understand that that's a trigger for them, potential trigger, it can lead to bigger problems. Because if I don't know that, you know, life's not fair. Life's not, life isn't going to happen in a normal order. So if you struggle with that, you're going to struggle during those times or during adverse situations. If I'm more aware of that in myself because of my DISC style, I'm going to be much more cognizant of those things that set me into a, you know, a, a negative, uh, what I call an emotional state. And also, I'm going to understand what that emotional state feels like. Am I a freezer, fighter, flighter? If I can understand those triggers and responses, I'm going to be better at, at dealing with adversity. And DISC is a way of identifying, you know, what are my triggers and how, uh, what are those emotional triggers and how do I respond? Am I a freezer, fighter, flighter? or some combination of those three. And it's interesting, it's better said than the way I phrase it, because really 14% of, of the population's task-based, where the rest is is people-based. So even the high eyes, which are the people-based and outgoing, we, we, we tend to turtle you know, in, in the face of adversity because we just don't want to deal with the conflict itself. We're going to continue this discussion and talk much more about DISC and the book In Defense of Adversity with Steve Gavitorta. You're listening to Rick Morris, The Work-Life Balance. Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions, like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you getting the most out of your project management software? In many cases, it is not the software that is failing, but the implementation, limitations, or processes surrounding the use of that software. R-Squared can analyze your current use and help improve your return on investment. R-Squared can also suggest the best software for your organization and goals and assist in the selection, implementation, and training. Allow R-Squared to ensure that you are getting the value of your investment. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com today. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon. We're talking to Steve Gavitorta, who's written the book In Defense of Adversity. And right before we went to break, we made a point. I just wanted to come back to it for a moment. We said that 14% of the population are task-based people, right? So that means the, the other 86 is 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 people-based people. And people-based people, which is your high I, your high S, we tend to to turtle or we high I's turtle, high S's fear, that kind of that change. Um, so when we start talking about adversity, that doesn't mean we can't overcome adversity. It doesn't mean we can't overcome obstacles. It just means that our initial reaction is something that we have to fight. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And, you know, even from those task based people, you know, their response could be fight or anger or get frustrated, you know, so each, if each disc style has their respective emotional triggers and those respective responses. You know, it's not a black or white answer here, but the rule of thumb that I've found in research is dominant styles tend to be, if they're functioning in a non-productive emotional state, will be free or fight. I'm sorry, fight. Um, a, a, an influencer will be flight, kind of as, if you, as you were saying, you know, don't deal with it head on. Uh, steadiness styles are more uh, freeze. They'll shut down. They'll internalize. And a compliance style is a combination of freeze and fight, you know, shutting down, then punching back. So that's, that's kind of a black or white um, description of how, what, how they may, uh, those emotions may manifest when they're negative. In addition, you want to consider the blended styles. I, as an example, when I'm a high S, as I said earlier, but also I have some high D. So when an emotional trigger such as lack of peace and stability hits me, it works like clockwork for me. I will initially shut down, I'll freeze, I'll start internalizing things. Then if it carries on too far, my D may come up and I'll fight, I'll punch back. So that doesn't look very well because people are thinking, oh, Steve's fine, he's not saying anything because he's, no one knows what I'm thinking because I'm internalizing, not in a good way, not I'm blind when I'm internalizing, but then I snap back knowledge of those things that trigger me, knowledge of my freeze and fight response, a freeze and, and fight and response, has helped me better self-manage in adverse times. I'm much more cognizant of those things that can set me in that, limb, that negative emotional state and what it feels like. So it's essentially through this understanding, I've been able to raise my emotional intelligence and become much more productive under duress or change or, or, or adversity and things of that nature. <clears throat> I think the two biggest things for me that, that I learned when I, when I really started to study DISC and really started to, to become passionate about it, I think the first one is the identification of our blind spots. So to tell you a story in that as a professional speaker, um, when I first started speaking and being a high eye, one of the first things that people will automatically target you as, whether you are or not, right, it's that, it's that communication trigger is uh, egotistical. And at the same time, um, I hadn't learned the lesson yet of speaking kind of from the heart. So it was, it was success after success after success. So I looked like a raging egomaniac on stage, right? And, and once I figured that out to internalize it, the first thing I do now is I tell self-deprecating jokes on stage just to kind of, you know, get everybody down. But in, in, in 
coming back to your book though, I want to get into the leadership side of it, but one of the things that I, I do to make it hit home with people is I read the section as I'm going through each profile of responds best to a leader who, right? And there's a few um, there's a few bullet points for a D and I and S and a C. And then I come back around and I said, which means if you're leading a team and you've got more than 10 people, right? Chances are you have every style on that team. So this is the leader you have to be. And I read that whole section across again. And uh, I get a lot of laughs at that point, but that's the point that we're trying to drive is that if you've ever caught yourself saying, I've said the same, ten, same, same thing 10 times and Johnny doesn't get it, yeah. you're not communicating in a style that Johnny can grab it. Exactly. I think one of my favorite quotes I use in Mark workshops a lot, it would be from Vince Lombardi, who said the key to his success was he had to learn 40 different ways to motivate and communicate with 40 different men. So, you know, he knew the hot buttons to push on his players. Uh, like, uh, I think it was all pro um, uh Hall of Fame uh, offensive guard or tackle Jerry Kramer, you know, he could berate on the field, he could kick off the field, yell at him and scream at him. Jerry Kramer would come back the next day mad. He wanted to show Coach Lombardi he was wrong. Where Vince Lombardi, um, I'm sorry, Bart Starr and Paul Horning, he couldn't critique, he couldn't embarrass them in public because it would shut them down. And that re really resonates with me too because I played 13 years of, of football. And um, when a coach put me in the doghouse, I'm sure you know what being put in the doghouse was. Oh, I felt that, yeah. Yeah, you're in trouble, basically. When a coach put me in the doghouse, right, wrong, or indifferent, I bought furniture for the doghouse. I decorated the doghouse. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning I wasn't coming out of it. It didn't motivate me. So the coaches who got the best out of me knew my hot buttons and how, how to get the best out of me. I never responded to yellers and screamers. Some of my other uh, 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 teammates did. But those coaches who knew that about their players ultimately got the best out of them as well, too. The coach uh, uh, told me when, when I got up to college and, and did not have a, a stellar career there, uh, told me that uh, I had what was known as game film speed. I said, what's that mean, coach? He said, man, on film, you're fast as all get out. He goes, but in person, not so much. <laughs> I've never uh, forgot I, that. <laughs> yeah, I had, let's go this way. I had game film height. I looked a lot taller <laughs> than I was. So when I went on recruiting visits, coaches, when they ultimately saw me, they were a little surprised. And, and uh, so that's how I ended up at division three football versus division two or one. Then, or I, I get exactly what you're saying. And, but you didn't point out Doug Flutie to them going, come on, size doesn't matter. Well, I, that was come before on. Doug Flutie. I didn't, <laughs> right. of, uh, I didn't have the arm Doug Flutie. <laughs> so what are, um, what are some of the attributes that you think great leaders exhibit um, to be successful in the face of adversity itself? Yeah, I think several things. I think tying this to emotional intelligence as well, too. I think they are highly introspective. They know themselves. They they understand their behavior, their communication style. They understand how they make decisions, what they're motivated by, how they deal with change, risk, and conflict and adversity. They really understand themselves. Then second, so they have great intrapersonal skills. Secondly, they have great interpersonal skills too, just what we were talking about. They, they know the motivators, the behavior of the the attrib same attributes I just mentioned for them, they know those same attributes and those people with whom they're leading. So they know who they can put in precarious situations. They know who their, uh, the strengths of their team, uh, where the strengths lie. So the intrapersonal skills, intrapersonal skills are key. 
And with that, the ability to build resilience for themselves and their resilience and perseverance uh, for themselves and their team, and the ability to effectively solve problems and resolve conflict every day. But again, especially in those adverse times. Yeah, but I want to challenge you on something. It's something I'm sure you've heard. Uh, I hear it all the time, especially with dealing with executives. When we start to talk about you know, human behavior consulting and the things that it can do, they say, oh, that sounds wonderful. And you said, yeah, but I want to start with you. Oh, no, 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 dude, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. I'm fine. How do, you, how do you overcome that piece? Yeah, I mean, they, I think anecdotal evidence is the biggest one because they see the problems in their team. They need to do this. I mean, I've even done workshops where you're applying DISC and the leaders think everybody should be adapting to them. Right. You know, and that's the key issue I found. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. So I think you have to point out real evidence where their lack of introspection or their leadership skills is really met panning out in the workplace. If there's conflict, if there's, if salespeople aren't closing sales, um, it's ultimately going to go back to them. So I think you have to really pr provide that evidence because at that higher level, leaders are blind. It's a, many times it's a lonely position. No one is there to necessarily critique them. So you have to show actual evidence of maybe this fault. Um, the, these issues you're having are tied back to you as well. So essentially uh, evidence of how it's manifesting in their own team, absolutely. their own business. Absolutely. Absolutely. So. I find that, you know, again, they, they say, well, I got, I'm successful. Uh, I was successful to get here. So I don't understand why I have to change. But I think it's that mindset. And, and you said it before when you were talking about um, what are the attributes that leaders really need to have. And it's that intra perspective that they have. Um, how do you, other than, um, other than, you know, showing them is, is there, have you had a method or a phrase or something you've used to really you know, create that aha moment for them that they really do need to look inside? Yeah. What I try to do is again, help people again, that self-knowledge, their ability to make good decisions in face of obstacles, things of that nature. I try to point out um, where again, their decision-making, are they functioning in that, what I call the rational part of the brain? I talk about two important parts of the brain in my book the limbic system and the cortex. Our limbic system is called our emotional brain. Uh, our cortex is our rational brain. And I can dig into that deeper if you want. But oftentimes I see leaders functioning in that limbic or the emotional part of the brain where they're getting angry or they're shutting down or they're, oh, they're taking control of things. So I try to point out to leaders too, when they're functioning in that emotional part of their brain, and the results of that. So if I'm if a, 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 a leader's um, taking control of things instead of delegating, that's not productive because they should be delegating as leaders. So again, I try to point out where they're not functioning in that rational part of their brain and what those results are. Does that does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny, but it is the emotional side. I wrote a speech a long time ago called uh, Making Emotional Conversations Unemotional which was a checkpoint to say, is this really even an, an issue? Um, and so using project management terms, you get into the data and then let the data decide whether or not you're having an issue or not. Versus, you know, I think this person's always late. Well, if I go back and look at the last two months and they're only late once, all right, then I'm just, I'm a little bit more emotional about it right now than I am logical. And for me being an, an emotion-based person, 
I had to teach myself that kind of system to make sure I validated that I had a right to be upset. That's right. That's right. And, 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 and like I said, the emotions, when I say emotion, some emotions are good. I'm talking about when we are, if we're angry, we're seeing red. We're in that fight mode. When we're not functioning our optimal brain capacity, it's okay to be, how should I say this? A, um, what's the right verbiage? A, a, you can be direct to the point and, and send a, a very clear, harsh message from your cortex part of the brain. You know, if you're thinking rationally, logical, and you need to lay down, you've told someone, you, you, you folks need to operate in that, you know, you need to get your act together as a team. We're not making our numbers. There's a difference between being direct to the point when you're in control. It's when you're out of control and you're yelling, you're screaming, you're seeing red, you're not functioning at your optimal level. That's when it gets, uh, gets out of control. And there could be a thin, you know, fine line between, you know, delivering that harsh message while in control versus delivering that highly emotional fight or anger message as well, too. So that's the fine line someone's got to draw. So, so we're going to take a break right here. But when we come back, I want to get into fear and adversity. And uh, when, you, when you know you're supposed to do something or you know you're supposed to make a decision, and that adversity and the fear of that adversity is, is standing in your way. But we're going to deal with that when we come back from break. You're listening to Steve Gavitorta, Brick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. At the Work-Life Balance, we like to ask simple questions to our executives and portfolio managers. Are you picking your projects based on what the organization can spend, or is it based on what your resources can realistically achieve? This question, if not answered properly, can cause great strain on your staff, limiting the return on investment. When creating project selection criteria, does your organization attempt to understand the amount of resources needed to complete the work? Is this done in spreadsheets or at a high level? What if we told you there was a simple and easy solution that was built with resource planning in mind? We call it Resource First from PDWare. Resource First was built with resource planning as its foundation. We have years of experience that proves before a company fine-tunes its project and portfolio management processes. Without a process for resource planning, the best processes and algorithms can fall flat. Resources should be first when deciding the strategy of taking an organization forward. Find out more at pdware.com. Put your people first with Resource First from PDWare. Join us at pdware.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now back to the Work-Life Balance. 
And we're back to the work-life balance on this Friday afternoon. We are de dealing, talking with Steve. Dude, we're dealing with you. All right. Can, uh -oh. can we get through this interview, Steve? <laughs> we're That's talking to Steve Cavatorta. <laughs> and uh, so, you know, Steve, as we tease going into the break, um, you know, the, the, there's several people out there that that have a tough decision to make or, or they're flirting with a tough decision. And the fear of the unknown becomes more of that uh, prevention point, meaning they kind of know they need to make a decision. They're certainly not happy, you know, whether it could be a job or a relationship or whatever it is, they're not happy where they are, but that fear of taking that next step, um, they're, they're weighing that fear versus knowing that they're going to stay unhappy if they stay where they are. What's your advice when they're facing that level of adversity? Yeah, I think you have to really check what I call your perception of adversity, your per perception of difficulties. And I talk about two things in my book that number one, well, the two words are when your perception ties to acceptance and acknowledgement. To accept the fact that adversity, difficulties, change, uncertainty, uncomfortable things are a part of life. Uh, when you accept that, you're no longer, I guess, surprised or apprehensive that it's happening. And again, that ties that whole brain functionality piece I mentioned earlier, I can connect to. Then the second part of that is acknowledging that adversity is brought in your life to learn, overcome, face, and at least learn a lesson. So if you can learn, look at everything in your life, uh, as regardless if you fail, there should be no fear because there's always a lesson to be learned. There are no, there's no such thing as failure. I call it perceived failure because if you've learned a lesson, it's not failure. So accepting that adversity is part of life. And when I say adversity, I'm saying, you know, what might, going back to DISC, what might be a, an exciting challenge for one DISC style may be a frustrating, frightful thing for another DISC style. So adversity is deeply personal and is defined by you. So really accepting that these uncomfortable things happen in our lives and they're put in our lives to help us grow, transform, and evolve. That acknowledgement piece I learned from a gentleman named, you probably have heard of him, ch uh, called Chad Hymas. Mm -mm. Oh, you've not heard? I highly recommend reading up on Chad, but Chad is a quadriplegic. Um, he was a elk farmer, I believe it was, and through, um, he was loading hay, and, and um, unfortunately, he did not have enough hydraulic fluid in his tractor, and I forget how many tons of bale of hay fell on him, but it fell on him. And he ultimately became a quadriplegic. And when I interviewed him, he stated that, you know, it's, it's acknowledging that he can use this accident to help others. And now he's one of the hottest speakers on the National Speakers Association circuit. Great, great guy. And he's using that difficult time to parlay and they're really, really teaching others lessons, especially around industries where there is any safety involved, their environmental health and safety departments, things of that nature. So I'd highly recommend reading Chad and following up on him. But that's where I got the acknowledgement part about it that, hey, it all depends how you look at it. You know, and if you look at it in fear, if you look at it with apprehension, then chances are the result may validate your feelings. But if you can look and say, hey, there's no risk. If I don't take it, the worst thing that can happen is I learn a lesson from this. Does that make sense? Absolutely. And so what are some of those greatest lessons you think you can learn from those difficulties? Yeah, I think that you can, you can do things you previously didn't think you could do. Um, you can land that job you didn't think you could land. You can land that woman you didn't think or, or guy that you didn't think you can land. It ultimately proves that 
I think there is no, um, no limit to our lives if we are willing to make effort, try, and, and, and seek our goals. If we, we have solid goals, we're willing to fight for them, we're willing to go through walls for them, we're learning to learn valuable lessons, we can ultimately become what we ultimately strive to become or achieve, let's put it that way. You just made a connection in my brain that, I, that I've never made before. But if, if you ever, you know, it's, it's a standard response, male or female, to say, wow, how is that person with that person? Um, what you just taught me is, well, the person that we think isn't worthy is just really good at overcoming adversity. Is that, is that essentially? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, you know, we've already discussed why we think obstacles are put in our path. We think that, you know, we've discussed, you know, learning some lessons. Are there any exercises that we can practice to become better at dealing with adversity, both in the short term and long term? Yeah, again, uh, really look at three things. I think, again, going back to the disc, I think raising, understanding your disc style can help drive your intrapersonal skills out self-knowledge. It can also drive your interpersonal skills, learning how to deal with others. So the more you can understand based on your personal style, those emotional triggers, what are those things that can set me into an emotional state of freeze, fight, or flight? The more I can understand it myself, the more I'm going to be successful, the more I can understand those things in those people whom I'm leading, the more I'm going to help them be successful and ultimately become successful. I also talk about something called the Oodle Loop. Have you ever heard of the Oodle Loop? Nope. Oodle Loop was developed by someone in the Air Force for rapid decision making, how uh, following a series of a thought process to make good, solid decisions in, in, in fast moments. It's an acronym. Oodle is basically observe the situation. Number two, O, so O-O-D-L, D-A, I'm sorry, Oodle loop, O-O-D-A. Observe the situation as it's happening. Orient yourself to the situation, meaning I've been here before, or I know how to handle this, or I have training to deal with this, or I'm going to learn a lesson from it now. Then once you've oriented yourself, then the D comes in, decide what you're going to do, then ultimately act. And it's a loop because it's a never-ending loop and it can full feed on itself. Um, so the more experiences I have, remember it's OODA, O-O-D-A. So orient, uh, observe, orient, um, decide, and act. The more experiences I can learn from in my life that I have it in my arsenal, the more goes into the OODA loop, especially the orient phase. Because I'm observing an adverse situation happening the more experiences I have to access, I'm going to orient myself much better to what my decision is in the D of the OODA loop. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. It's it's the same like when we when you tell a salesperson, don't worry about your first yes, go get 100 no's. Yes. The, the reason behind that is the practice essentially is you're setting the OODA loop. I didn't, I, I didn't know that term, but that's what you're doing is, is obviously you learn and become better on how to close business if you're not afraid of the no. Right. Let's go backwards. The observing piece is about forcing myself to observe it rationally. Don't jump in. You know, look at it non-emotionally so you can see it clearly. Secondly, orient myself to what options do I have to respond to this thing in a productive manner. To your point, if I'm a salesperson, I have I, I've not experienced or I have one or two no's in my in my belt. I'm not going to be as successful as that person who has those 100 no's and hopefully has learned lessons from those. He or she's going to be able to orient themselves better because they have more of an arsenal. They have more of a options to grasp. 
So that's why I say our ability to learn from our obstacles is productive because that feeds into our future decision-making into that OODA loop phase. You know, I, I'm a, I hope I'm not insulting you or any of your listeners, but that's why I'm very adamant against uh, participation trophies for kids. Uh, don't get me started. Yeah. Well, you're not helping them do two things. One, formulate the cortex part of their brain. If they're not accustomed to losing or failing, they're not learning any lessons to, fend, to benefit down the road. In addition, it's not going to allow them to make those decisions and walk through that OODA loop phase because they have nothing to orient to. I've never failed. I've always gotten a trophy. I've ne- I don't know what it means to win. So when something happens, that uh, the orient phase, there's not much to it, number one, and that decision isn't as sharp and the action behind it isn't as, and as sharp as well either. So that's my whole point about the more we can learn from our obstacles, it's going to it's going to benefit us because down the road when we have to make decisions, we have more experiences to fall back on to make wiser decisions and have much better actions behind those decisions as well too. Yeah, there's some great research out there um, around uh, highly successful, highly performing CEOs. And one of the common traits that they found was that they were on a, a high level team or championship team that that lost the championship game. And, and it's interesting that, that that's the common trait, but what happens is kind of in the psyche, they don't ever want to feel that way again, right? So it is a negative feeling. So they work harder and develop a work ethic that says, I, I'm not going, I'm going to be overprepared because I don't want to fail and thus built a work ethic within them that led them to great success. I think we're doing a huge disservice by not letting that failure set at these early ages. Right, well, going back to the brain functionality, if you don't mind, I'm going to build on it a little Go ahead. bit. There's two important parts of the brain I talk about. The limbic system uh, and the cortex. The limbic system is known as our emotional brain. It's what we're born with. It does not even grow, transform, and evolve through time. When we're functioning in the limbic system uh, during a, adverse situations, our adrenaline starts rushing and our response is going to be freeze, fight, or flight, or some combination. So as you can imagine, freezing or being angry is not a good place to be when you're trying to handle an adverse situation. The cortex part of our brain, also known as our rational brain, does grow, transform, and evolve through time, through our experiences, both good and especially bad, through our education system, reading, writing, arithmetic, uh, through our training. That's why I'm, I'm so into this training and development world we're in, because what we're doing, we're built, helping people build their cortex muscles to be successful leaders, salesperson people, or to function effectively under situational dynamics, such as adversity, change, risk-taking, conflict resolution. So the bottom line is when adversity strikes, you want to be functioning in the cortex part of your brain, because if you're not, you're going to have an emotional response of freeze, fight, or flight, and you're not going to make wise decisions. You're not necessarily going to say the right things. You're not going to solve problems, and you're not going to be able to see, think creatively, or find solutions you may have if you were thinking from that rational part of your brain. So that's why that's so important to function in that cortex. And our life experiences, if we're willing to learn, can build our cortex muscles, so to speak. Absolutely. So it's important to have those experiences so we can learn, essentially. Um, So we're going to take our final break right here. We'll be right back with Steve Gavitorta. You're listening to Rick Morris on the Work-Life Balance. Thanks. 
Are you aware that 80% of project management executives do not know how their projects align with their company's business strategy? Are you aware that businesses identified capturing time and costs against projects as their biggest project management challenge? Are you aware that 44% of project managers use no software, even though PricewaterhouseCoopers found that the use of commercially available project management software increases performance and satisfaction? Now, imagine that you could have the ease of entry like a spreadsheet and a software tool set up and running within two to four weeks. Imagine within two weeks being able to see clearly where all of your resource conflicts are. Well, you don't have to imagine because PDWare has already created it. PDWare can give you real-time access to KPIs, easily updated views of what your teams are working on, and immediate feedback to some of project management's toughest questions. Like, when can we start this project? What happens if we delay this project? Can we do this in time? How does this new project impact our current portfolio? Find us at pdware.com and imagine not manually compiling endless reports again. Are you frustrated with the overall productivity of your project management processes? Do you lack consistency in project delivery? R-Squared Consulting provides end-to-end services to assist companies of all sizes in realizing and improving the value of project management. Whether you want to build a project management office, train project managers, or learn how to bring the oversight and governance to your project processes, R-Squared has tailored best practices to help you in all areas of project management. Visit rsquaredconsulting.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to the Work-Life Balance. To reach Rick Morris or his guest today, we'd love to have you call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, Rick can be reached at rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. Now, back to the Work-Life Balance. And we're back to the Work-Life Balance on this Friday afternoon and uh, been visiting with Steve Gavitorta. Uh, uh, Steve, uh, kind of final question, uh, then I've got a question that uh, that I ask every guest uh, that's that's on the show. Um, but uh, why is this topic so important right now as we go through the pandemic? Yeah, as, as I said before, even before this pandemic, we're in this fast-paced, high-tech, low-touch world. Uh, everything's hitting us faster than ever. Um, uh, technology's not going to get any slower. Add, add to the other, other factors that multi-generational workplace, we have boomers, Xers, wires, everything in the workplace now. So I think just the speed of things, speed of everything hitting us at once, customers needing answers, speed at which to make decisions, adversity. Um, Again, I think even before this COVID, the need to be strong and and, and think clearly is more important than ever because the speed, the change and whatnot. So we as leaders, if we can function effectively and our teams can function effectively, during change, adversity, COVID, whatever that might be, it can again help the, uh, the leaders, their business, uh, their, their businesses not just survive the craziness, but thrive in it. I truly think it's times like this where companies can get a competitive advantage. They can steal market share because their organizations running on all cylinders or other other organizations, they're, they're not changing fast enough. There's 
turnover, and you know what turnover can do to the bottom line of an organization. So that a healthy, well-oiled machine that can solve problems, minimize conflict, is ultimately going to increase their cash flow, uh, profitability, and grow their business as well, too, where others may not if they're not functioning on all cylinders. So I feel like what's happening with the speed of, of technology and everything else is if you look at the OODA loop, it's that observe and orient is, is getting further and further compressed. That's right. And I think that that's leading to some of the, the I mean, you could have one mistake go down uh, as a company or whatever, and it'd be all over the world within 10 minutes of you making it, not having time to observe and orient to decide what you're going to do next. That's right. And if you're using the OODA loop, I mean, it's a, it's a successful process. It was developed again by the airport, if I'm not mistaken, by the Air Force for their pilots to make those snap decisions, you know, and that observation, the importance of them to pilots to stay rational, then the orientation is they have a whole man, they have a manual of responses, they have training of responses. So that orientation is all about them falling back on their training, falling back on their experiences. And that's why I'm such a proponent of training too. You know, let's take a salesperson who's thrown to the wolves. You know, he or she can observe a situation, hopefully rationally, but if they don't have training and skills to orient themselves, they're not going to be successful. You know, I've seen, I've observed plenty of salespeople who have never been trained on handling uh, um, objections. So what happens is they start sweating, they start getting nervous, and they're going to, they push back at the buyer right away or the key decision maker right away. They get defensive. It's because they have nothing to orient to because they've not been trained on how to successfully deal with an adversity. So those life experiences, again, funnel into that orient phase. And the more we, we have to put in there, the more we're going to make better decisions and our actions are going to be much better as well too. So, and that's how that OODA loop comes into play. To your point, it's more compressed now than ever that, so the more we can learn about ourselves, the more we can understand our triggers and responses, the better we're going to put input into that OODA loop. And that OODA loop adds another little tool too, right? To remind yourself to, Observe it rationally. Don't go into the limbic system. And my emotional triggers and responses help me know that better about myself so I can observe more rationally. Then I have all these experiences and training to orient myself. Or again, there's nothing wrong with orienting, 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 orienting yourself to the fact that I don't know. I've never been here for I've never done this before. But you know what? I'm open to learn a lesson. I'm going to acknowledge, as I said earlier, this is a chance to learn something new. And what do I need to decide to do moving forward? And what are those actions? Once again, what you're going to do is add more to your orient phase down the road. So sure. if that makes sense. So how do people get in touch with you? Yeah, it's real easy. Maybe it's not so easy if you've seen my last name, but uh, feel free to Google me. Uh, my website's gavatorta.com. It's my last name. <clears throat> it's spelled G-A-V-A. T-O-R-T-A.com. And you can find, uh, if you Google me, I'm out there on the public domain. Uh, you can check my YouTube sites out. I have a lot of good YouTube content up there that you may find useful. Um, my email address is very simple, steve at gavatorta.com. And feel free to call me, 813-777-9414. I'm easy to find out there. So, Outstanding. So what's some of the best advice you've ever received? 
Oh my goodness. Um, there's a lot of it. Um, I think again, Chad Hymas's, it all depends on how your vantage point, how you view those adverse situations, which is going to determine your outcome. If you choose to view something negatively, uh, um, in a negative manner, it's going to be perceived and the outcome is going to be negative. So I think, you know, acknowledging that, you know, adversity is brought in our lives to help us grow. You know, I think it's not as much of advice that I've, get, I've gotten, but it's more of the um, motivational quotes and things I've read. Um, one of which I, I often read in workshops leading up to this whole adversity topic. It's regarding Abraham Lincoln. Um, upon his passing, it was it was stated by a, uh, a news reporter who called on him at the time, and they were often at odds. And I'm going to paraphrase, but it essentially states that Abraham Lincoln um, used the obstacles that he faced in his life, life to his advantage. You know, he took every brick thrown at him and built steps to ultimately become the greatest president there ever was. Another quote I often use is, um, I'm paraphrasing again, but it's the gem only becomes perfected through trials. So I think it's basically mother nature's way of telling us that we become ultimately who we're meant to become through the difficulties we face. The difficulties we face are about helping us grow, transform and evolve into the people we were meant to become. So um, I, I, I'm not sure if that's the lesson I received or through quotes, it's been an array of different things and they all fall under the fact that the difficulties are meant to help us. <laughs> so. Absolutely. Well, Steve, we thank you so much uh, for coming on. And, uh, you know, most of the audience is not aware of the adversity you're dealing with, but we appreciate you uh, pushing through and being a part of this with us. We'd love to have you back. My pleasure. would love to. A lot of content I'd like to talk about. So let's stay in touch. Absolutely. So uh, next week, gang, we're actually going to go to a replay. I'm doing a uh, keynote uh, in a, a, a networking event for the PMI chapter of Austin, Texas. Uh, so I will be uh, busy with them that next Friday. So we'll do a replay after that. We've got Ryan Stanley coming up. And and quite frankly, gang, the, 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 the success that you guys have given us the show um, and continue to uh, support the show and continue to, to push the show out there. Um, we, I, I'm literally getting eight to 10 requests a week now uh, to be on the show. So not only do we have some phenomenal bookings coming up, uh, but we're able to pick some of the best uh, in the world coming up. And, and so we're booked all the way out until March uh, on this show. We're going to continue to drive phenomenal entrepreneurs, continue to drive phenomenal leaders. Uh, and of course, we'll have some fun surprises throughout. So that's what's going to be coming up in the future here at the Work-Life Balance. We always appreciate uh, your support. You can find me at, at Rick A. Morris on Twitter or on LinkedIn. Find me at Rick A. Morris on Facebook or rick at rickamorris.com, rmorris at rsquaredconsulting.com. And until next Friday, we hope that you live your own work-life balance. Thank you for joining us this week. The Work-Life Balance with Rick Morris can be heard live every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Now that the weekend is here, it's time to rethink your priorities and enjoy it. We'll see you on our next show. 